Tony Russo, and this is A Bagel Manifesto, where I share stories about coming to terms with belief, culture, and the profound sense of loss that nobody really cares about bagels anymore. This week, I want to talk about the Mandela Effect for a couple of reasons. The first is, I'm always interested in things that seem like garden variety craziness off the bat, and the Mandela Effect certainly fits that bill. Second, I think it's important to have a working knowledge of the road to complete denial. I'm not ready to throw in the towel on the post-fact world yet, but I want to recognize that facts aren't super important when we talk about beliefs. I feel like it would be useful to spend some time wondering about why people decide to believe things than it would be to complain about why they continue to believe things without evidence. I'm probably going to end up saying this a lot, but calling beliefs crazy is a bigger problem than we might think. It isn't just an unsatisfying explanation, it's also an uninformative one. I think a lot of times we are so desperate to sort things into boxes we can make sense of that we forget that there are almost always wider implications. Before I had even heard of the Mandela Effect, I was really interested in what appears to be an abject terror of being mistaken or, God forbid, flat dead wrong. It's a fear that influences our culture more than I think it has in the past. I used to work with kids. It was for about a year, and it was deeply, deeply unpleasant. It wasn't the kids who were predictably teenagerly. It was the stench of authority that they were supposed to smell on me that I just couldn't endure. So one program that we did was this morality thing, like how to live up to the seven principles of service or the five edicts of success or whatever. The only thing that made it bearable was the fact that it was freeform. Kind of. So we got to talk about things like responsibility and ethics. Once we talked about admitting you were wrong, which went as poorly for me as any conversation could have gone. I'd asked a simple question, and not only was it a simple question, but it was beside the point. It was part of a larger topic that we've been discussing. And so I said, if someone admits they were wrong, does it make you more or less likely to believe them in the future? The answer seemed obvious to them, and it seemed obvious to me, but we answered differently. And that's how the mutual confusion started. To me, someone who is concerned with getting things right is trustworthy. To them, someone who didn't have the sense not to point out when they were wrong shouldn't be trusted on any account. I realized after a while that we were both right, me technically and them practically. I mean, we all want to think that it's better to admit to a mistake than it is to pretend you didn't make it, right? I can't be the only one who thinks that. But, of course, that isn't really our experience. People are taken out of context, people are misquoted, misunderstood, but they're never just wrong. It's kind of horrible. I've spoken with people who believe that this might be related to school testing, where a person's value is less about understanding or curiosity and more about improving percentages, as if the intellect were a publicly traded company. Now, that very well may be true, but I think it's more insidious than that. The internet is an obvious and easy culprit. We seem to get a lot more pleasure in telling people they're wrong than we ought, especially when they are wrong. We're not concerned about someone's lack of understanding so much as attached to our own superiority. Knowing that we are for a fact superior to one more person on the planet makes us feel good. That's not internet driven though. At least it was something I experienced before the internet. When I was a kid, we weren't allowed to call someone stupid or to tell anyone to shut up. We also weren't supposed to curse, but shut up and stupid were the only ones that stuck for me. Because I thought of stupid as a swear word, I was sensitive to it. Because I was sensitive to it, I learned that people said that stupid as shorthand for I disagree, 
or I would have done it a different way. I don't live in terror of being called stupid any more than I live in terror of being called an asshole. And it's not because I'm confident that I'm not stupid, and I very well may be an asshole, but those words have become curses. They're not like legitimate critiques. For some people, there's nothing funny at all about being called stupid. For many more, discovering and admitting to stupidity is just not possible. And those are the lights by which I came to understand the Mandela effect. Now, although psychologists have studied false memories for more than a century, their investigations didn't address the psycho-supernatural angle, especially in the cases of shared false memories. Shared false memories are a phenomena where a group of people all remember the exact same thing that didn't happen. One of the most famous examples is that there are some people who remember climbing the stairs to the Statue of Liberty's torch. They didn't. It's been closed since the First World War, but there's no lack of documentation of these stories. As someone who's been in the Statue of Liberty, I can tell you that the last leg of the ascent is up an absurdly tight spiral staircase. I guess it's an easy mistake to make, and it's one that's easily explained. Most people don't cling to this wrong memory. That's why it's not called the Statue of Liberty effect. But people are incredibly interested in the phenomena. People want to know why science can't explain these mass misrememberings. It's probably more the case of it isn't worth explaining. There are lists all over the internet of this phenomenon, but they read like a list of things people are likely to misremember about pop culture from their childhood. People with a genuine belief in the Mandela effect have taken this terror of being wrong to a paranoid extreme. The Mandela Effect takes its name from adults being embarrassed into what looks like mild psychosis. Paranormalist Fiona Broom coined the term in 2010 following what sounds like an embarrassing mistake. She claimed famed South African leader Nelson Mandela was dead while he was still very much alive. Rather than just shrug it off as geopolitical ignorance, she doubled down. She talked about remembering his funeral from the 1980s. And then she started asking around. Once she did, she discovered many people thought the same thing, which meant that it wasn't a coincidence. And I should say that I've spoken with people about this who say, yeah, they do remember that Nelson Mandela had a funeral in the 1980s, um, but I know that I'm wrong. And I just am baffled by it. Allowing even for a second that Nelson Mandela might have died in the 1980s, why would he get a state funeral in apartheid South Africa? These aren't the questions we're going to ask or answer today because they don't matter, because it's all made up. But I really just had to say that. What we do have, though, is we have Fiona Broom running around asking people whether Nelson Mandela is dead. Or maybe she asked, do you know who Nelson Mandela is? She's not a researcher, so it doesn't matter what her questioning process was. She was looking to prove that she was correct and that many people had this shared false memory. And now she wants to look into the reason behind the shared false memory. Broom has been a paranormal writer since the 1970s. And in her professional view, this wasn't a false memory at all. It was proof of multiple realities. Others agreed and joined in the informal research. What the research showed was that this was becoming more frequent as the decade went on. But let's take a look at what's going on in 2010, because there was way much more than just Broom coining this phrase. First, 
The scientists at CERN were working on recreating the Big Bang, and that set a lot of people on edge. Second, 2011 was a decade removed from the 9-11 attacks, and so many people thought that 2010 was going to be significant in that it was the last year before the end of everything. I guess it's also worth mentioning that in 2011, lots of people thought the world was about to end because of the Mayan calendar, but let's just take one cockamamie story at a time. I really think it was mostly CERN messing with physics people didn't understand, and what could also be called millennium mayhem. Uh, It happens every hundred years or so. People think the world is about to end for about a decade on either side of the zero year. That just means that anyone who's born around the millennium spends their entire youth listening to people talk about how the world is about to end. This idea about the Mandela effect gave people permission to believe that this world wasn't necessarily real, that their lives and circumstances were different from the way they would have been if CERN or any of these other shadowy meddlers hadn't thrown the timeline out of whack. Getting a handle on conspiracy culture requires that you accept the fact of other people's belief, even if you don't share it. I have a working understanding of a lot of made-up things. I understand why people might believe in reptilian overlords or cryptozoological beasts and secret government death rays. I get that people believe in ghosts. But the Mandela effect isn't a paranormal event. It's an insidious lie that prevents people from ever being wrong. It is so much worse than kooky. It's a weapon people use to justify their invented, fervent hope that our shared reality is somehow a sham. And what's worse to me is that by that reasoning, what happens to people in this alternate timeline is somehow less real than the other timelines that they prefer. It's weird and telling, I think, that people are more comforted by the notion that Nelson Mandela died in jail without transforming the South African political landscape than it is that this is the only world we have. Of course, they don't think of it that way. In this example, you have to remember that they don't think about or care anything at all about South Africa. It's a selfishness. They like to think that there's no telling how much better their lives would be in this fictitious alternate dimension. They have this sense that something is missing, and as I always seem to find, they're right, but not in ways they could ever imagine. What's missing isn't access to Liberty's torch or the end of apartheid in South Africa. What's missing is the tacit agreement that we occupy the same reality and are connected to everyone else through that. Increasingly, history and cultural events have become something of a choose-your-own-adventure game. We can disagree about the significance of literally any event. And it is just easier than ever to accept the facts that support our worldview and disregard those that don't. But that only makes sense if we are more committed to being right than we are to understanding things a little bit better. I think so many of these conspiracy people are keyed into the fact that reality is in flux, but they think of it as a time traveler kind of way instead of related to the ways we interact with one another. I feel like time and the hard facts of physics will sort a lot of this out. But in the meantime, it's worth recognizing that the mania for being right is something that appeals to everyone. If there's going to be any takeaway at all from understanding the Mandela effect, it won't have anything to do with people who believe in the Mandela effect. It's going to have to do with us. It wouldn't hurt when we think about what we believe, 
Whether we believe it because we want to continue to be right or because we still think we're right. And if we're not sure, it certainly wouldn't hurt to find out. So what do you think? Even though I've been the only one talking for a while, I'd love to get your impression. You can shoot me an email at bytonyrusso at gmail.com. Um, if you want to send along a voice memo, I'd be happy to replay it and comment on it. If you'd like to support the show, you can sign up for our weekly newsletter at abagelmanifesto.com. I've also written a book called Dragged Into the Light, Truthers, Reptilians, Super Soldiers, and Death Inside an Online Cult. It's available wherever you get books, and the Mandela Effect does play a pretty big part in the story. I'll be back in two weeks, and I'll be talking about uh, Bigfoot, or uh, Bigfoot Chewies, which I've, I've written about before, and it's a fascinating idea that believing in Bigfoot is just not enough for some people. I, I just love that. I don't know. Um, all right, well, until then, keep the faith.